Let's move on to main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by William. And William writes, Hey, John, I just read a report that says Netflix, the movie and TV show streaming company, is going to start offering video games as a part of their service and just hired a former gaming exec to head it up. They're saying Netflix could be streaming games within the next year. Is this Netflix making a huge mistake getting into something they aren't experts at or a genius move? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, talk about kind of surprising news. This kind of comes out of nowhere. So look, Netflix right now, despite how great Disney Plus is doing, despite the great programming that Amazon Prime has, despite how much great programming HBO Max have, the reality is, as of right now, Netflix is still the king of the hill. They still by far have the largest market share. They're going to be the biggest for a while. Now, I don't think they're going to be the biggest streaming service, like, say, two years from now. But right now, they are still the king of the hill. They're the they're bosses of the beat, if you want. And, you know, they have done so with a great mixture of curated content of other people's IP and their own original TV shows and their not-so-good movies. But sometimes they create a pretty good one or not. So the question is, with that, that we've been asking a lot lately, with services like Disney+, Plus, with services like Amazon and HBO Max and uh, Paramount+, Plus and Peacock, and more coming and more on the way, we all know that Original content is going to be king. What's really going to differentiate all these things is going to be who has the best original content, both in terms of quality and, to be honest, in terms of quantity. With this news that Netflix is going full-blown into video games as well, that may change things a little bit. Look, this comes to us from the folks over at Engadget who write, the company, that's Netflix, will reportedly build out its own gaming team in the coming months to be able to start offering games for streaming within the next year. Not five years from now, not three years from now, within the next year. Netflix isn't exactly inexperienced in the area and previously developed games based on its popular shows. However, it released those titles on mobile and consoles. Bloomberg says the company won't be making a separate platform for its upcoming video games and will instead make the games available alongside of its TV shows and movies under their own category. Also, the streaming giant reportedly has no plans to charge extra for game access, though it's un unclear if the additional content will lead to future price hikes. All right, that comes to me from the folks over at Engadget. And there's a couple of big things in there. Number one, that they're just going to be doing streaming video games. Now, of course, streaming video content or video game content has become more and more popular, popular, right? Like Xbox has its own streaming thing that I'm actually a subscriber of. You had uh, Google Stadia. Is that what it's called? Stadia that burst on the scene with a lot of promise. NVIDIA has its own service as well. There are a lot of services out there that offer you the ability to have video games that you don't actually have to physically buy. You can actually just play them in a streaming format. That's out there. Some are better than others. The idea that Netflix is getting into this game is kind of 
lunacy. Like it's it's kind of crazy. Imagine this loading up Netflix, and as you're looking at the interface, alongside you know Bridgerton and The Crown and Dark, right beside it there is you know the latest Assassin's Creed game, or the latest Call of Duty, or you know uh, Last of Us Three. You know that right up there you could have your movies, TV shows, games, which raises another excellent question. What will happen? Like what what happens with these games? With some of these services, you have to buy the game and then it's there available for you to but will just any game they put on Netflix just be available for you to stream? I mean, will it follow the same model as like they do with their movies cuz if you're a Netflix subscriber and you want to watch, you know, a movie, let's say Old Guard, you don't have to go on buy Old Guard for 13 bucks and then you can watch it. Everything on Netflix is included in your subscription. Are they going to include that with the video games as well? That if you're a Netflix subscriber, you don't have to go out and buy, you know, Divinity 3. You can just play it. It's If you're a Netflix subscriber and they've got it, you can just play it. It also raises a question about what kind of selection are they going to have? Like how many games are they going to have? And are they going to be AAA games? Or is it just going to be kind of the bottom of the barrel Walmart bargain bin kind of games that are out there? I mean, I don't know. Listen, I love, um, I don't know, what's what's a good one? I love StarCraft 2 as much as anybody, but StarCraft 2 has been around a long time. And if that's the big premium game, so that's interesting. The other interesting thing is this, is that they're not going to make it a separate streaming service. It's just going to be all combined in with the same thing. Now, look, you bring up the question, about is this an idiotic move on their part because they don't know the first thing about games or is it a genius move well i can see it both ways right now on the one hand this is not what this company knows this is not what this company understands and while they have a fantastic already built-in broadband infrastructure that could probably serve up these games pretty well, this is still not something that there's. this is their area of, of uh, expertise. That being said, they are hiring the right people. You know, you mentioned yourself in the email that they just hired a big gaming executive. They're bringing on more people, the people who do know what they're doing when it comes to games. But I will say the most interesting part of it is this. In a landscape where Netflix is now losing market share to this plethora of other streaming services, and everybody's asking the question, how will each streaming service differentiate itself from the others? I mean, by the way, Amazon, I, I got their offer a while ago. Amazon's also got its own kind of streaming thing as well, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be quite like what Netflix is doing. If Netflix can just add this as a way to further differentiate themselves from Disney Plus, from Amazon Prime. Because here's the thing. If you're, you know, somebody, you've got a limited budget for your entertainment, you know, you got maybe 40 bucks a month you're willing to spend on your entertainment, and you can't get all the streaming services, but one of those services offers you premium gaming experiences built right into your monthly subscription. Now, this is all assuming they can make it work because maybe they won't be able to make it work. Stadia looked like it was going to be incredible, but it's, it's had its issues. But if you're, you know, that person who's got like, I'm going to spend 30, 40 bucks a month on streaming services. You can't get all of them. You can only get one or two, but you're also a gamer. 
Isn't Netflix going to become a really attractive option for you? If included with all of its TV shows and movies, there's also premium games if they're going to do that. It's interesting. So yeah, I get it. It's a risk. They're not a gaming company. They don't know what they're doing. But at the same time, if they can bring in the right people and if they can make this work, I think that makes this little gambit of theirs extremely interesting. Extremely interesting. So uh, let's see how it works out. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the notion of Netflix getting involved, of not only streaming you your favorite movies and and TV shows, but also games? Could this be a deal breaker? Could this be a game changer? What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down... Let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Samantha the Boss. And Samantha the Boss writes, Hey, John and Aaron. Unfortunately, Aaron's not here today. I really loved WandaVision and Doctor Strange. So you can imagine how excited I am for Multiverse of Madness. Anyway, Wondering if you saw that Elizabeth Olsen just did an interview where she says that the Multiverse of Madness is actually the scariest Marvel movie yet. What do you think about MCU movies embracing the horror genre more, and how scary do you think it can get? Thanks. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Samantha. And yeah, listen, obviously a lot of people have been very excited about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That excitement has only gone up considerably with Loki. I mean, whether you loved the Loki series or not, I think it's fair to say that generally speaking, even a lot of people who didn't really like Loki, you got to say it kind of intensified and increased our anticipation for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. A lot of people looking forward to it. We already knew that Elizabeth Olsen is going to be appearing in it as uh, Scarlet Witch. I mean, obviously Doctor Strange there. There was a report that we talked about coming out of the Hollywood Reporter yesterday that Tom Hiddleston as Loki was also going to be appearing in the movie. Marvel hasn't confirmed that yet, but it does come from the Hollywood Reporter. So that's all very interesting. Now, in the midst of all that, though, Elizabeth Olsen was just, you know, she was doing some interviews because, of course, she just got nominated for her first Emmy for as a best lead actress in a uh, limited series for WandaVision at the Emmys, which is amazing. Congratulations to her. But in the midst of that, somebody asked her about some questions about, you know, what's going on with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And this is specifically what she said. This comes to us from Screen Rant. The interviewer prodded Olsen for details on the upcoming MCU sequel, that's Doctor Strange 2 in the Multiverse of Madness, and she provided a potentially exciting tease that it will be the scariest Marvel movie. All right. Saying the following. It's a very scary movie. It's like old Sam Raimi. And of course, Sam Raimi is is doing the movie. Uh, They're trying to create the scariest Marvel movie. That comes to us, of course, from Elizabeth Olsen via the good folks over at Screen Rant. Okay. There's a couple of things and a couple of asterisks you have to keep in mind when talking about this. Saying something is going to be the scariest MCU movie out there is saying, like, that dude Bobby is the most lethal mixed martial arts fighter in his kindergarten class. I mean, right? It's the scariest movie ever in the MCU. Now, look, the original Doctor Strange movie kind of, um, it, it kind of, let me rephrase this. 
the original Doctor Strange movie had elements of like a few horror elements in it. It absolutely did. But I don't think anybody's going to say that it's a straight up horror movie. It's, it's definitely not. There are certainly some moving and maybe even some frightening scenes in the MCU. But to come out and say that it's going to be the scariest MCU movie, well, that's not exactly a high bar, okay? When talking about how scary can you make something. That's not necessarily setting a very high bar. On top of that, it's an interesting comment because you remember Scott Derrickson, who directed the first Doctor Strange, he departed Doctor Strange 2 because, according to reports, he wanted to push the horror elements a little bit more than Kevin Feige wanted to. And so, you know, I respect both of them. You know, Scott Derrickson said, well, if I can't do the movie the way I really want to do it, then I don't feel comfortable being attached to it. And Kevin Feige's like, hey, I'm only going to allow movies to get made that I'm comfortable that it's within certain parameters. And so they parted ways, and that's fine. No harm, no foul. But it does leave me wondering, how scary can it actually be if the previous director actually left because they won't, they wouldn't let him make it a little bit scarier. So listen, I absolutely believe that Elizabeth Olsen is probably right. I think this will probably be the scariest MCU movie yet, but that's not really saying much. (laughs) And of course, now listen, some people, I can hear some people now saying like, Oh, but the movie's going to be PG-13, so how can it be scary? Listen, a lot of the great horror movies can be PG-13. You don't need to drop F-bombs and show a lot of titties or have a lot of blood and gore to be scary. Honestly, blood and gore isn't scary. Blood and gore isn't scary. It's the other stuff that makes it scary. I mean, some of my all-time favorite horror movies are actually PG-13. Not my absolute favorite horror movies, but but some of my favorite ones. So you, you can do that. But again, I believe it's Elizabeth Olsen when she says this will be the scariest Marvel movie yet, but I also don't think that means much, especially in the light that the last director left because they wouldn't let him make it all that scary. Anyway, guys, what do you think about this? I'm sure we're all looking forward to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I'm sure it will be the scariest movie in the MCU yet. I also don't think it's actually going to be that scary. Anyway, guys, what do you think about the comments? Jump on down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three, shall we? And our third topic today gets submitted to us by Michael Radisson. And Michael Radisson writes, Greetings, John and Aaron, and Aaron's not here today. Hey, John, I know you're a massive fan of James Gunn, so I thought you'd get a kick out of hearing about the first reactions for Suicide Squad. They're insanely good. I haven't seen reactions like this for a comic book movie Ever. They're calling it crazy and glorious and hyper-violent and genius. It's seriously every single reaction I've seen has been just awesome. I wanted to know your thoughts, and does this increase your excitement for the movie? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, there is often a thing that we've noticed with the early reactions, right? Early reactions they don't always, like we just saw a, few, a couple of movies just had early early reactions come out that weren't necessarily all that great. But but generally speaking, early reactions tend to skew a little bit more positive. And I think the main reason for that, that they skew a little bit more positive, is because 
the early reactions are only out on Twitter, right? There's two different types of review embargoes. There's social media reaction embargo and then full review embargo. Often they're just put together, but what we've seen many times with the bigger studios and with bigger movies, they'll say, okay, if you want to release a quick social media reaction, you can do that on this date, but you can't release your full review until another date. And seeing as you only have like 140 characters or however many characters Twitter allows you to have now, it's understandable that they'll probably just want to put in their, their positive parts of their thoughts, right? That's completely understandable. And so when we, but then when we get to their full review, we read their positive things, but then they also include the negative things and it, and it turns out to be a little bit more balanced, right? So the social media reactions generally tend to skew a little more positive. That being said, I have to agree with the person who wrote in, um, who wrote in the email in that I have personally never seen early reactions like this. Now we've seen early reactions that were really positive. Oh yeah, this movie's great. Yay. This movie, what we are seeing coming out of the early reactions for suicide squad is on a different level. Let's go over and take a look at this right now. Uh, our friends over at Joe Blow, one of my favorite uh, entertainment websites out there, run by Burge, a good Canadian kid, by the way. Um, let's look at some of these. Jimmy O from Joe Blow, right? Uh, just checked out Suicide Squad and calls it, uh, Jimmy O of Joe Blow just saw Suicide Squad and calls it weird and wonderful. There are laughs aplenty and some of the most outrageous and original visuals you're likely to see in the cinema this year. This is the Suicide Squad that we've been waiting for. Bravo, James Gunn. Now, listen, I just want to let you guys know, I know Jimmy O personally. If you guys remember back in the early AMC days, Jimmy O was a semi-regular guest on uh, Movie Talk back in the days. He's fantastic. He especially knows this type of genre stuff, and I really respect his opinion. But let's keep on going. It's not just Jimmy O. Uh, Drew Taylor writes, James Gunn's Suicide Squad is gloriously insane and so fun, so fun. After watching it, you'll think you might have dreamed it. Everyone is excellent and deeply committed to the material and its singular mood and wild-ass aesthetic. I can't wait uh, to ride this roller coaster again. Uh, Nathaniel Braille writes, The Suicide Squad is not only my favorite DC movie. Get this. is not only my favorite DC movie, it's easily James Gunn's best movie. Those are... That's a big statement to say it's James Gunn's best movie. Anyway, it's insane, fun, and filled with laughs, and it's exactly what Task Force X should be. Kyle Anderson writes, I really love Suicide Squad. It's funny and gory and foul-mouthed like you'd expect, but it's also deeply tragic and heartfelt and an underlying kindness that I absolutely didn't expect. It's just much. It's just as much satire as it is shoot-em-up. More thoughts once I'm able, but truly wowed. Uh, Allie writes, Suicide Squad is so much fun. A violent, action-packed ride with a ton of heart. Gun's most thrilling project, Harley Quinn and King Shark, were the standouts for me. But every single cast member excels in this movie. This film is definitely one of DC's best. AP writes, just watch The Suicide Squad, a thrilling, color Colorful and adventurous experience with some iconic and not so iconic DC characters that truly lives up to the title. Highly recommended. So you're sensing the pattern here. And by the way, Joe Blow didn't didn't filter any of these. He just took all the reactions and just put them up. It's not like he filtered out the negative ones. Dorksaholics writes. 
Nerdaholics writes, I love this crazy movie. Blood gushing fun, bombastic energy from each scene to the next and unapologetic as well as unafraid to push the boundaries of humor in the most absurd and equally dark circumstances. Oh, really? James Gunn not being afraid to push the boundaries of humor. Color me shocked. Anyway, uh, Brandon Davis also writes, he said, Suicide Squad is absolutely insane, violent as hell, raunchy, unforgiving. James Gunn is fully unleashed. It's sometimes overwhelming. It has moments of heart, humor, action, emotion, all of it relentless. There is nothing like it. Javier X writes, Suicide Squad is visually amazing. It's a nonstop trip from start to finish. The chemistry between the squad is great, and every character gets its moments to shine. Pure cinema for two hours. Bravo, to the whole team. Culture of Geek PR writes, the Suicide Squad is strong, violent. Are you, there's, are you sensing a theme here? Violence? I love this. <laughs> is strong, violent, absurd, and funny. I loved every minute. James Gunn brought his bag of tricks to DC, now with an R rating and free reign to blow our minds. One of the best movies in the DCEU. You have to see it on the big screen. Uh, Suicide Squad. This is becoming a thing. Like They're really emphasizing a lot of the violence in it, and I love that. Because that's one of the things we've all been looking forward to, especially with the with the uh, ARD rating. And then finally, Vanessa Armstrong writes, uh, got to see James Gunn's Suicide Squad tonight, a hilariously violent and heartfelt story that's surprising in all the right ways, enjoyable for everyone, hardcore DC Comics fans and newbies alike, alike go see this movie. Now listen, again, like I was saying, we are all accustomed to seeing early reactions skew positive. And we talked about why I believe that is a little bit off the top. And by the way, our friend Todd Fair sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you so much for that, Todd. Appreciate that. We all expect that. And so we're used to, again, some of the last couple of movies that have come out have not necessarily had all those glorious uh, early reactions, but we're kind of used to seeing them skew more positive because, you know, they only have a brief moment to share a quick thought. They'll share all their thoughts, including the more negative ones in their full reviews, blah, 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 blah. But guys, I said before we started reading these, I have never read early reactions like that. I know we're all accustomed to the positive early reactions. To me, this goes beyond that. And here's what's especially exciting about it for me is that, yes, we were hoping that with the R rating and we were hoping that with um, uh, with the R rating and we were hoping with, you know, him, it's being a Suicide Squad property, that it was going to be a lot of violence. We knew that. That James Gunn was going to make it kind of bonkers. If any of you guys have seen Slither, I still think James Gunn's best movie. I think that movie is a masterpiece. If you you guys have seen Slither, you know how he, he, James Gunn just knows how to use violence in a really entertaining way. So we knew it was going to be violent. So I'm excited to see everybody saying, man, this is gory and blood soaked and ultra violent and all. I love hearing that. But what's surprising me is how many of these uh, reaction areas that we're getting in this are also saying things like it's got a kindness to it. There's a tragedy to it. Multiple of these uh, reviews said there is a um, there's it's heartfelt. And if you can make a movie that is gory and ultra violent, have all that stuff, but you can also fill it with all the nutritious goodness of like actually 
great characters that actually have great motivations and that it's actually heartfelt and has moments of tenderness in it all at the same time. If you can put something like that on the table, you've got something pretty special. Now, look, I am going to admit I am very, very a pro James Gunn guy. I, I'm not going to hide that. Full disclosure, you guys know I've shown this picture before. I'm a bit of a James Gunn guy. Uh, I've had the opportunity to, to speak and talk with James Gunn on a number of occasions. He's always been awesome. He's always been wonderful with his time. He's a great storyteller. I love his movies, blah, blah, blah. So obviously, look, you guys know I am predisposed, full disclosure, I am predisposed to wanting to see this movie. I am predisposed to being excited about seeing this movie and because I really like James Gunn. I do, but there's a reason that I like James Gunn this much. I love his storytelling sensibilities. I love that he's bringing it to the DC universe. I love that he's doing it with suicide squad. Cause you know, the funny thing is the funny thing is when you look at, when you go back, you got to remember the circumstance of this. There was that big mess that was happening over at Disney because, you know, 10-year-old tweets from James Gunn came out. Tweets that James Gunn totally regretted. But these tweets from 10 years earlier came out. Alan Horn at Disney totally jumped the gun. And instead of taking time to actually process this, just fired James Gunn kind of willy-nilly. Every studio in Hollywood lined up to offer James Gunn's projects. And Warner Brothers came to James Gunn and said, you can do any movie you want. We'll give you anything you want. You want to do Superman? We'll let you do a Superman movie. You want to do Flash? We'll let you do Flash. Whatever you want to do, James, just come over here and make something. And for whatever reason, we all thought it was strange at the time, Gunn decided he wanted to do Suicide Squad. And it's like, really? Suicide Squad? But the more we all thought about it, it's like, you know what? That's actually perfect. That's actually perfect for James Gunn's sensibilities. This is absolutely perfect for James Gunn's sensibilities. When you, especially when you look back at what he did with Guardians of the Galaxy, right? A ragtag group of misfit, odd characters, kind of B-level characters in their cinematic universe. Give him that again. Let him go hard R and sit back and watch what James Gunn does. And so I got to tell you guys, I am, I am really stoked. I am really stoked to see all these reactions coming from some people whose opinions I really respect a lot. And I cannot wait to watch this. I'm going to go watch this in cinemas. James Gunn, thank you in advance for making this. And I can't wait to see it. Now, if it sucks, it sucks. But so far, the reactions have been really good. Question is for you guys. What do you think about these early reactions coming out about Suicide Squad? Now, look, if you're one of these people that you're a little bit apprehensive about getting too excited because of early reactions, I don't blame you. There have been circumstances like that before. So I get it. For me personally, I've never seen them on this level, so it's got me really quite excited. How are you guys feeling about Suicide Squad right now? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that all down and out of the way, let's now spend the rest of our time today taking your live comments and questions. Once again, if you want to fire in a live comment or question, simply go over to www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you're supporting the channel at the same time and all of us involved here with the show. Thank you guys so much for your support. Okay, let's jump on over to it right now. We're going to get things started off here with... Uh, IMAV, 
who tips in like 50 bucks. Thank you, IMAP, for supporting our channel on that level, man. Really appreciate that. Wow. Your source for Miss Minutes participation sucks. The Loki finale delivers in spades. So awesome. Now, for you goes you don't know the background of that. During one of the um one of our Loki videos and one of our Loki streams, I mentioned. I was saying I don't think we're gonna see Miss Minutes again. And then around it was after episode four, I think. I said, I don't think we're going to see Miss Minutes again. And then somebody wrote in, if I remember it correctly, and said, you know, John, you're, you, you've you been saying you don't think we're going to see Miss Minutes again. Why? I said, okay, well, here's the thing. I had somebody that I know that's kind of connected to the situation who told me that Miss Minutes, like told me earlier that Miss Minutes was only going to be in two episodes, in the first two episodes, and then she wasn't going to be in it again. And I said, now I didn't bring that up before because this person is not exactly a reliable source, just so you know. Uh, and I feel bad saying that because they're watching the show. But I said, they're not exactly a reliable source, so I didn't bring it up before. But now that Miss Minutes hasn't been in episode three or episode four, I'm thinking maybe he was right. And then as soon as I said that, episode five came out. And who was in episode five? Miss Minutes. And then who was in episode six? Miss Minutes. Anyway, yeah, I... I didn't think the finale was fantastic, but I liked it. I thought the finale was solid. It brought the Loki character development arc to its conclusion that I love with him standing there saying, I don't need a throne. That's a total, that's a full journey for the Loki character. The reveal of Kang, which I kind of thought we were going to get. Um, I thought it was very good, but I didn't think it was great, but that's just me. Anyway, thanks again, IMAP, for sending in, uh, for sending that in. And thanks for supporting our channel on that level, dude. Appreciate that. All right, next up. Um, Jaron Morris writes, I asked this, but it was answered by Rob in a companion video. Awesome job, Rob, by the way. He does do a great job with those, doesn't he? But what are your thoughts on Nick Diaz's return and fighting Robbie Lawler, uh, too? Me and a lot of the MMA community were expecting Jorge Masvidal versus Nick Diaz thoughts. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the matchup is perfect. I think the matchup is perfect because honestly, how long has it been since Nick Diaz has fought? I mean, Nate obviously has been very active. Well, not super active, but he's been more active than Nick. And Nick's getting older. Robbie Lawler is no longer in the prime of his fighting career either. Love Robbie Lawler, by the way. But he's not in the prime of his fighting career anymore either. Um... So honestly, I think this is a matchup that makes a lot of sense. So I am, I'm personally looking forward to it. I think the matchup makes a lot of sense. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Jaron Morse also writes. Also, I think there, they will be a uh, Nunez versus Shashenko three. That's Amanda versus uh, Valentina. After Amanda gets through Julia Pena and Valentina gets through Lauren Murphy. But here's my question. Do you watch the ultimate fighter? And would you be down if there were, if they were coaches leading up to the third fight? I've never liked ultimate fighter as the, as a massive MMA guy. I have never liked the ultimate fighter. I thought when it first started, it was novel, but it's just reality TV drivel. So no, honestly I have now I want to see Amanda versus uh, Valentina three. I do want to see that fight. It's the only fight left for them. There is no woman in the world in Amanda's weight classes that can beat Amanda. There's just not. And there's no woman on the planet in Valentina's weight class that can beat Valentina. They are the only opposition for each other. You got to make that fight again. You got to make the fight again. Anyway, uh, next up, uh, where are we at here? Uh, we are at 
Jaron Morris also writes, sorry for all the UFC questions. Don't worry about it. I like UFC stuff. You can ask me UFC stuff all you want. Um, sorry for all the UFC questions, but I don't think Connor is done. Oh, neither do I. Connor McGregor, he's not done. I do think he's done fighting top five or top six fighters. So I believe when Connor comes back, give him Nate Diaz to finish the trilogy or give him Tony Ferguson. I don't know if he'd want to fight Tony Ferguson. Uh, big money fights and Connor is money. Here's the thing. Everybody's been talking about how Connor McGregor hasn't won a fight has only won one fight in the last four or five years. Yeah, but who is he lost to? That's the thing. Every Everybody says, oh, he's only won one fight in the last three years. Okay, but he's only lost three. And who did he lose those three fights to? He lost to the greatest mixed martial artist of all time in the undefeated, undisputed, greatest ever in Khabib Nurmagomedov, the Eagle, nobody beats him. Nobody ever did beat him. Nobody ever came close to beating him. No one ever had him in trouble. So losing to Khabib, there's no shame in that. And then he lost two fights now to Dustin Poirier, who now that Khabib is retired, Dustin Poirier is the best lightweight in the world. So yeah, he's lost three of his last four UFC fights, but look at who he's lost against. Is Conor McGregor done? No, he's not done. I hate the guy. I think he's a garbage human being. But is he done? No. Uh, and I look forward to watching him. I hope he gets another fight against Dustin because I want to see him get his ass handed to him some more. But that's just me. All right, next up. Uh, Imav also tips in another $50. Thank you, Imav. And Imav writes in, Kang is stupid. Why would he reveal that he was vulnerable? Once he established that he knew everything and he had the Loki subdued, a crazy great finale, still believe that your Miss Minute source needs to be tarred and feathered. Again, I told you it wasn't a reliable source. I told you that when I said it in the first way. But, but think about it. Kang, he wanted either somebody to take over the job or he just wanted to die. One of the two, he wanted out of the job. So, and it was thrilling to him. That's one of the things I liked about that scene. It was thrilling to him not knowing what was going to happen. So I personally thought that was a strength of the episode. In my opinion, I actually, I'm av, I thought that was a strength part of the episode, but that's just me. Again, man, thank you for sending that in and supporting our channel on that level, dude. All right, next up. Uh, we go to Colby who writes, Hey, John and Rob. Rob's not here on Thursdays, obviously. How do you guys feel about the Amazing Spider-Man series of movies? Oh, like the, the two? Like, uh, w- listen. I'm not going to lie to you. I love the first Amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield. I think it's underrated. I love that movie. Don't like it. I don't think it's really good. I love that movie. I think that movie's great. I'll argue anybody on that. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is obviously a different story. I didn't think it was the hot train wreck that a lot of people think it is, but it was clearly a major step down. Like, like, what was going on with Paul Giamatti in that movie? I mean, they just misused so many things. I mean, the Emma Stone-Andrew Garfield relationship chemistry was still great in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but obviously that movie was a big step down. But for me, that series was one and one I liked what Mark Webb brought to that series. I loved Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. And again, I really love that first one. I really do. I'm not saying it's as good as Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 or anything, but I really thought that first Amazing Spider-Man was underrated. All right, next up. Uh, Halle Berry, 
Halle Berry's Berries writes, Good day, sir. Rewatching the Marvel Investor Day presentation at around 11 minutes, 30 seconds, Feige indeed pronounces Shang-Chi like Shang-Chi. Shang uh, sounds sounding familiar to Wong. Also, in recent interviews, he's still pronouncing a Shang love the show. I, I get that. Other people have written that in already. But I have we, Rob and I have both pointed to and talked several times about several times that he's also definitively de- pronounced it as Shang-Chi. So listen, I don't care about this debate. I don't care about it. The movie's going to come out and then it's going to be said in the movie. And then once it's said in the movie, that will settle it. But until then, I really don't care about the debate whatsoever. All right, next up. We got Diego writes, uh, Kang's introduction being his death, a death he welcomed and openly asked for, is such a brilliant way to make a villain more menacing uh, than Thanos. Dude, listen, I love that. Like after he gets stabbed and he says, see you soon. And gives like that's, that's badass. If you want to, you want the definition of baller, that was baller. And I really did like that moment. All right, next up, uh, Stubble McShave writes, I thought Loki series was somewhere between meh and okay. Those are, those are the same things. Meh and okay are, are the same thing. Anyway, uh, I think there's potential for season two, but how the hell do you spend half the finale, the final episode of the season with exposition and info dumping? Listen, if that's what the narrative needs at the time, then that's what you do. Look, I, sometimes, not always, and not even usually, but sometimes a story's best ending is big action. Sometimes a story's best ending is somber tragedy. Sometimes a narrative's best ending is exposition. It all depends on the story. There's no formula for what is the absolute best way to end a series. It all depends on that series. I would suggest that the exposition in this finale was absolutely required. Now, what I also think, and I said this in the spoiler discussion, what I also think is that they absolutely should have introduced Kang in the second to last episode. That way, they would have had a lot more room to breathe in the final episode to do more than just exposition, and they could have done a little bit of show-don't-tell. But instead, with the situation they're in, the exposition dump was kind of required, and I, I just generally thought it worked. I did. Not everybody does, but I thought it worked. All right, Simon writes, John, uh, on the vote Loki photo, the picture showing Loki standing with his arms extended, palm of his hands open. Uh, the guy standing on Loki's left side looks like you. I never noticed. Uh, tell us, John, were you an extra in the Loki series? Uh, no, I was not, and I've never noticed that, but now I'm going to have to go and look that up, Simon. Thanks for the heads up on that. All right, Ewan McLaren writes, Hey, John, from Scotland. Hello, Ewan from Scotland. What are your thoughts on the new Indiana Jones movie, uh, uh, let's try this again. What are your thoughts that the new Indiana Jones movie takes place after the Apollo moon landing, just a setting or a major plot point? Uh, completely don't know right now. Remember, they've already kind of verified that this movie is going to take place in multiple time periods. So I don't think necessarily yet that there's anything especially significant about that. Because again, they've already said we're going to see a lot. We saw trains with Nazi symbols, like, so they've already kind of confirmed this is going to take place over several time periods. So that might be really significant, but it might not be significant at all. We're, it's just far too early to say. So we're going to have to wait until we get a little bit closer, I think. All right, next up. Uh, that was you. And now we've got, uh, where are we? Anonymous writes, 
You're a bit harsh with your criticism towards the multiverse. No, I'm not. You're just too easy on it. Uh, why don't you think Marvel can handle it? I didn't say Marvel can't handle it. I said I just worry about it. Can I time out here for a second? Can I time out here for a second? As a communicator, one of the keys in communication is repetition. Repetition buries something more in your head. And so I'm sometimes criticized, and I'm fine with it because I know I'm right. I am sometimes criticized by people saying, John, you know, you repeat yourself a lot. I know. And that's a very specific communication tool that I use. Because you know what happens when I don't repeat something several times? I get people like Anonymous writing in saying, man, why are you saying Marvel can't handle multiverse? I didn't say Marvel can't handle multiverse. I said very clearly, listen, I trust Feige more than anybody, and I'm not saying it's doomed. I'm just saying I'm a little concerned. I'm a little bit worried because I've already heard from some people that have been telling me that are fans of the MCU that all this multiverse stuff and all these time, it's they're feeling alienated and they're kind of got one foot out the door because of it. So I just said, I'm a little nervous, a little bit concerned that this could be potentially a problem moving forward if they dive too headfirst into the uber geeky stuff of massive multiverse and massive timelines and massive all this kind of stuff. I just worry a little bit, but if I trust anybody, I trust Kevin Feige. See, I said that clearly. I even repeated it. But clearly I needed to repeat it more because this happens all the time. No matter how clearly I say something, somebody else comes back and says, why do you think Marvel can't handle it? I'm like, oh, for fuck's sakes. I didn't say Marvel can't handle it. I just said it's something to be a little bit concerned. Anyway, let's go back over and keep reading. Um, you're a bit harsh with your criticism towards multiverse. Why don't you think Marvel can handle it? Have they not earned your trust? Did I not specifically say, hey, if anybody can handle this, it's Kevin Feige? Anyway, obviously I see your concerns, but I think I, but I think they can, right? I hope you, uh, I hope you have to watch Sylvie and Loki bang, by the way. I've always said that. I thought Loki and Sylvie, that whole thing is just gross to me, whatever. But it is what it is. Um, again, I'll say it for a 15th time. I'm not saying Marvel can't handle it. I'm not saying we shouldn't trust Kevin Feige. I'm saying is, because I've already heard from some people that are starting to feel a little bit alienated from it, I think there is a little bit of a potential possibility that this could leave some people feeling left out. I mean, the hardcore comic book fans like you and me, we love this stuff. But, well, I don't like time travel, but whatever. But we constantly have to remember that you and I represent about 5% of the actual viewing audience. And a lot of the other viewing audience, this isn't going to work for. So it's all going to come down to how do they execute it. So like I said, I'm just a little worried about it. I think there's a potential problem. But yeah, well, let's let's see how well they handle it moving forward. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Bojax who writes, Hey, John, my take on the Spider-Man becoming Iron Man slash Doctor Strange Jr. is I'm okay with it. Reason being, if we had if we had two other series where he stood on his own, so while in the MCU, it's just a different take. I believe he will eventually stand on his own, though. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I get that. Again, to me... It, it does bother me a little bit because I really, really like Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Far From Home, can't wait for Spider-Man No Way Home. But amidst loving it, I've always said that my one little gripe is 
why does Marvel right now not seem to think that Spider-Man is a cool character? Why do they think Spider-Man's lame? Like, Spider-Man's not cool. You know what's cool? Iron Man's cool. Gotta give Spider-Man an Iron Man outfit. That'll make him cool. Then people will like Spider-Man. Well, you can't just swing around without a built-in AI computer system and targeting computers and robotic arms. That's lame. Who watches that? Nobody will care about Spider-Man without an Iron Man suit. And now that Iron Man's gone, we got pictures yesterday of Spider-Man wielding Doctor Strange magic. And we know Doctor Strange again. So it's like, so now he can't, he still can't just be Spider-Man. Now he's got to be Doctor Strange Jr. Now look, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to believe until I see the movie that they have a good reason for doing it and the narrative will flow really well. But, you know, on its surface, I got to admit, it kind of bugs me a little bit. Like, Spider-Man's not even my favorite character. But it's like, why why won't you guys just let Spider-Man be Spider-Man? I, I, I mean, why does he have to be Iron Man Jr. Or, or Doctor Strange Jr.? And what's next? Like, is he going to start hanging out with Thor? And instead of a giant hammer, he's going to walk around with a giant magical enchanted wrench bestowed upon him by, I don't know, Eogoth, the Norwegian god of death metal. I don't know. I'm just making shit up. Anyway, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Okay, next up. Uh, where are we at? Bojack's also writes, initially I thought Marvel's What If series was a standalone series, but in light of recent events, do you think it's a canonical, uh, a, can- a canonical multiverse series in the MCU just in animated form? It's possible, but again, all I can do is go back to what Kevin Feige said at D23 and afterwards in interviews. It, it, they made it very clear this is not a part of the MCU. This, like, this is a totally separate thing. Now, Maybe he was lying. Maybe he changed his mind. I don't see any reason to believe that. So I am true. And and it's right in the title. What if? Right? It's right in the title. The what if stories in the comics have always been never to be considered actually tied into the main storylines. Whether it's uh, what if or what's the other word for it? Um, there's what if, and it was also help me out in the other guys. There's DC used it. Um, DC used it for their made up stuff. There was what if, and there was Elseworlds. Anch, Banka, James Argenta, and Michael Brammer were the first guys to write it in. Elseworlds, thank you. So it's right in the title. Like, what if an Elseworlds were supposed to be? Look, so don't consider this actually part of the ongoing comic book stories. This is just a fantasy kind of one off thing. So. I still believe that's what it's going to be, but you know, we'll, we'll find out. Maybe the show will start and they'll, they'll actually phrase it a different way. But even if they phrase it a different way, it's not really real. You know what I mean? I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not tremendously excited about, uh, I'm not tremendously excited about what if I'm, I'm not, um, maybe once I watch the first episode, you know, I wasn't interested in black lightning either, but then I watched the first couple episodes and like, all right, I'm hooked. Uh, maybe that'll happen with what if, but, uh, right now I'm not, I'll have to see that first episode. Hopefully that'll really get me on board with it. All right. Next up, uh, do, 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 uh, where are we at? We're at, uh, Judah music one who writes, I know Marvel will be more detailed in their approach with the multiverse. It kind of put me in the feel of the old series sliders. Uh, do you see the similarities? I see the surface similarities. 
Sure, but I also don't think it's going to be anything like that whatsoever. Uh, I mean, I get it, but a lot, a lot of people mention sliders on this show. Good on you, uh, Judah Music. All right, next up, uh, James Argenta writes, The Emmy nomination rule is if an actor appears in 50% of the episode, they are supporting. Actually, that's not true at all, James. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito appeared in two out of the eight in season one of Mandalorian. He got a guest actor nomination. Uh, In season two, he was in five of eight episodes. He got a supporting actor nomination. That is actually not true. And the reason I know that is not true is because uh, last night after talking about it, I actually went and downloaded uh, the Emmy... um, uh, the uh, Emmys rules and procedures guidelines. And I, I went through it all and there is nothing in there about it saying an actor appears in 50% of the episodes and there's, there's nothing in that handbook about that at all. And believe me, I searched through it. So unless there's something outside of the actual Emmy rules and procedures document, which is fairly long, uh, and, and, and I am not an expert on the Emmys. Let, let's be very clear. I am no expert on the Emmys. So don't take what I'm saying as gospel truth on it. But like I said, because of the, the interesting discussions we had yesterday, I went and downloaded that and, uh, I didn't see anything in there about that whatsoever. It was actually a little bit nebulous, which kind of bothers me a little bit. Anyway, uh, next up, uh, Caleb writes, it's official. Dune will be rated PG-13 for sequences of strong violence, some disturbing images, and suggestive material. According to the MPAA website, actually, I believe the MPAA is now just called the MPA. I think they took the last A out of it. I believe, I could be wrong, but I think they're now just called the MPA. Anyway, uh, are you surprised? And when do you think we might see a second trailer? No, not surprised at all. PG-13 is a very wide net. PG-13 is a very wide net. You can do a lot with PG-13. A PG-13 movie can be really kind of edgy, but it can also be very, very tame. There's, it's a wide, like, for to be rated G, there's a very small thing. To be PG is also a, a little bit bigger, but a little bit wider of a scope. PG-13 is a huge scope. I've seen, like I said, I've seen some very, very innocent, tame movies with a PG-13 rating. I've seen movies with a PG-13 rating that I've come out and gone, how on earth did they give that just a PG-13 and not an R? So it's a wide scope, so I'm actually not surprised about it at all. I'm re- I think it's going to be the movie of the year. I think that's going to be the movie of the year. I cannot wait. All right, thanks for that, Caleb. Next up, Krogs writes, Hey, John. I've started to notice this black and gold pattern has started to show up in multiple places. The walls inside the Citadel of Loki in episode six, uh, the ship in the Eternals trailer and on the suit of the new Spider-Man hot toy. Your thoughts? Coincidence. I, I honestly, I think that's just pure coincidental. Interesting aesthetic. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm not big on the black and gold person. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I hate it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but it's, uh, yeah, it's not, it doesn't really jump out to me for any particular reason. Eh, that's just me. All right, next up. Suthius writes, the, store, uh, the score of continuous chiming music while Kang was explaining things to Loki and Sylvie reminded me of the chiming music in Interstellar. That music, uh, that music that signifies, in my opinion, awe and wonder, but at the same time, mystique and the unknown. I'll be honest with you, 100% honest with you. Um, I didn't even notice. I was too wrapped up in just what Kang was saying that I actually didn't even notice the background music. And by the way, that's a good thing. A lot of times musical score is meant to 
bleed into the background and be a part of the ambience of the entire scene to the point that you're not even supposed to notice it. Sometimes a piece of music in a movie or a TV show is truly doing its job if you don't even actually notice it because it becomes a part of the atmosphere that you don't even consciously notice. Sometimes it's supposed to be more to the forefront. It's supposed to be more to the forefront. But um, yeah, I didn't even know because I was just too wrapped up in what Kang was saying. Thanks for saying that. So this, when I go back and watch the episode again, I'll, I'll make sure I keep an eye out for it. So thanks for putting that on my radar. Uh, Jerome writes, what is the best moment in a movie slash TV uh, villain puts the protagonist in a no-win situation or no matter what the villain uh, gets what they want? Um, that's not a list I walk around with in my head. The the one thing that jumps out to me a lot with uh, the one thing that's jumping out in my head, if I sat down and thought about it for an hour, I could probably come up with more examples. But the one that kind of comes to me first is The Dark Knight, right? Where the villain puts the hero in a truly no-win situation. Either save Harvey or save the girl. And he puts him in that situation. I'm sure there are many others that I'm not just thinking about the top of my head, but that's a good one. I mean, listen, I love it when movies put us in a situation of, oh my God, what do they do? Like when a movie can truly put you as an audience member in a anxiety state because you don't know what the hero can do to possibly get out of this properly, one or the other, that's a really good good thing when they're able to do that. So that's a good one to bring up, Jerome. Again, I can't think of more off the top of my head, but it's an excellent, excellent topic of conversation. Thanks for putting that in, Jerome. All right, next up. Uh, Dev Pimp writes, Episode 5 was great. Yeah, I didn't like Episode 5. I mean, I didn't hate Episode 5. I thought Episode 5 was at most okay. I disliked Episode 3, but I I was a little disappointed with Episode 5. Anyway, Dev thinks Episode 5 was great. I love the symbolism in it. Classic Loki being devoured by Eliath was symbolic of Loki slaying his inner demon by becoming selfless. That's a good interpretation of it. I like that. Uh, it was the journey of Loki, but the series didn't provide an ending for Loki disappointed. Oh, I disagree, Dev. I disagree. Um, he, We did get the conclusion of that. This show was about Loki's development as a character. It wasn't about the TVA. It wasn't about giant smoke dogs. It wasn't about a castle on an asteroid. This show was about Loki and his journey of character development. It starts off with him still being in the original Avengers movie, coming out in some desert, trying to command and lord over people in the desert. And then it brings us to that moment, that iconic moment to me, the strongest moment, of episode six, when he talks to Sylvan, he says, I don't want a throne. I don't need a throne. All I want is for you to be safe. I want to save reality. That to me was the ultimate destination of a character development journey of our main title character, Loki. So I believe he really did get a great ending there. And then they open it up. Then he's in another sticky situation that we'll have to pick up in Loki season two. But I, I thought they gave him that ending really, really well. I thought it was great. Okay, uh, next up. Where are we at? Mark 2021 writes, Hey, John, maybe Loki isn't in Doctor Strange 2 instead of saying back in season two. Okay, maybe Loki isn't in Doctor Strange 2. Instead of saying back in season two, would they not have said Loki will be back in Doctor Strange 2 like they always have? Just my thoughts. Thanks. Uh, no, no. Be, look, I would have I would have agreed with you on that, Mark, 
if the post credit scene said Loki will return in Loki season two, right? Like they've done in some other Marvel stuff. Because if they had said that, then it, we would all go, well, wait a minute. Why do they say Loki will return in Loki season two if he's going to be back in Doctor Strange 2? But they didn't say that. They just announced Loki season two. That's all they said. So no, they would not have necessarily have put in the end credit scene, Loki will return in Doctor Strange 2. They wouldn't necessarily have done that. I mean, they could have done it, but they wouldn't necessarily have done that. So yeah, I don't think that's a reason to believe he won't be in it. Listen, the Hollywood Reporter says he's going to be in it. I think we can assume that he will. But we can't 100% take it to the bank because Marvel didn't confirm it. At least not yet. Then again, there are a lot of things Marvel don't confirm that comes out of the Hollywood Reporter and Variety until like a year later. But uh, I think right now we can assume he'll be there, but there's definitely a possibility he won't. But I, I don't think that the wording of that post credit scene is any way, in any way, shape, or form, affirms or detracts from the idea that he's going to be in Doctor Strange 2. That's just my take on it at any rate. All right, next up, Miguel Zayan writes, Hey, John. I like the Loki finale very much. Spoiler warning for the finale. We're a couple days out. I was just thinking, imagine if when Sylvie stabbed him, imagine him saying, they're coming, they're coming. Kind of like, ooh, I thought I that would have been terrible. Oh, that would have been terrible. They're coming, they're coming. Kind of like Luther and Batman versus Superman saying the red capes are coming. Thanks. No, no, Miguel. I, uh, no, I think that would have been cheesy as fuck. I, I think everybody would have laughed at that. I don't think just the way he did it with see you around that was perfect because if he had done, if he had said that, I think it would have come across as cheesy and it would have instantly elicited everybody comparing it to the Lex Luthor line. And that would have been cheesy too. So I'm very, very glad personally, I'm very, very glad they didn't do that. That's, that's my take on it. At any rate, thanks for sharing your thoughts though, Miguel. All right, next up, uh, Miguel also writes, Hey John, some spoilers for Loki. I'm assuming that the chances of ver- that, let me try this again. Assuming that the chances of versions of Kang appearing in different films are high. Do you think this ramification will be ended in a Fantastic Four film? No. Uh, like the four would be the ones to defeat him. Do you think they have cast them? Uh, do I think they've cast Fantastic Four? Yes. I think the Fantastic Four is already cast. Maybe not every single role in the movie yet, but I think the four are cast. I think that's done. Like, we now know, remember, they filmed Loki long before they ever announced Jonathan Majors was going to be playing Kang. Long before. Marvel cast their people way in advance, and then they let it become public knowledge, or one of the trades finds out about it much later on. I believe Fantastic Four is cast. However, you also have to keep this in mind. That... Kevin Feige said when they made the announcement that Disney was taking over Fox and they asked him, when are you going to bring in Fox and X-Men? He said, I've got the next five years planned. That means Loki was already on his drawing board. He already had his basic idea for what Loki was going to be and how it was going to lead into Doctor Strange 2 and all that kind of stuff. And he did all of that before he ever knew that Disney was getting Fox. So, I believe this. I believe the multiverse, no inside information. This is just me as a fan speculating, just like everybody else. I believe the multiverse storyline will end 
but that won't necessarily be the end of Kang. I think Kang will continue on, just like the Civil War story ended, but Captain America was still around. So I believe the multiverse stuff will be brought to an end, maybe in Doctor Strange 2, but that doesn't mean that's the end of Kang. I think Kang will still be around. And then maybe they use him in Fantastic Four, but if they do, that's a new idea. It won't, it won't have been what the plan was all along. Because, again, Feige came up with this plan before he knew he had Fantastic Four. So he wasn't thinking, yeah, we'll do Loki and I'll bring in Kang and then we'll have Kang go into Fantastic Four. Kevin, we don't have Fantastic Four. All right. You know what I mean? Then then later he got him. So that's kind of my thoughts on that. We'll see, though. We'll see. I could be totally wrong about that. All right. Next up, uh, we've got an anonymous viewer writes. The great thing about the MCU is its diversity in story. I completely agree. There is Loki for the cosmic nerds, me, uh, Falcon for Falcon and the Winter Soldier for the more grounded story, and Wanda for those in the middle. I think your fear of MCU becoming too comic booky is misplaced. Love the show. Uh, then I don't think you're paying attention. I, I frankly don't think you're paying attention. Listen, I think it is a very justifiable worry. It's a very justifiable worry. If you don't see the potential drawback of this, then I don't know what to tell you. Now, it doesn't mean that Kevin Feige is not going to find a way to properly navigate it to keep everybody on board. We're counting on that. But if you don't at least recognize and acknowledge, because listen, part of my job is that I hear from hundreds, if not thousands of film fans every day. That's part of my job. And I am already hearing from people. The reason I brought it up was because I already started hearing from people saying, yeah, this lost me. I have no idea what's going on here. Even from some people who do read some of the comic books. And if, if, if what happens, because a lot of people are thinking they're going to go totally bonkers now. They're going to go totally crazy. And I think the people who say that might be right. I think they might go totally crazy. But there are some people that turns off. And if you don't keep the non-comic book fans on board, the MCU could be in trouble. Because the MCU's success is not built on the comic book fans. It's built on the fact that they also get non-comic book fans on board to follow. So I think if you look at this situation rationally, at the very minimum, you have to acknowledge there is a potential problem there if it's not managed properly. If it's not managed properly, you have to at least acknowledge there's a potential problem there. If you don't, then I think, I think you're purposefully being blind to it. The question becomes, will Kevin Feige and his team manage it properly? And of course he's earned all the benefit of the doubt he has, but if you don't acknowledge there's a potential problem, then you're not going to avoid the problem. And, and I think you have to acknowledge there's at least a potential for a problem here. And if Kevin Feige, and I guarantee you Kevin Feige is aware of that. Kevin Feige knows this is risky. He knows we risk doing this, so we got to make sure we navigate it properly. So then it all becomes, can he navigate it? Obviously, he's earned the benefit of the doubt, so let's see where things go. All right, next up. Uh, Godzilla 2000 writes, Hey, John, uh, just want to give an update that nothing but the truth, which is something you brought up the other day, I think, uh, is free to watch on YouTube, Tubi, Vudu, and Pluto TV. It's a great legal drama about journalism and and leaks with uh, Kate Beckinsale playing a reporter and Alan Alda as her lawyer. Great film. Yeah, you put that on my radar the other day. I'm interested about that. It's good to know that it's actually available for free viewing on those things as well. I 
I actually like Pluto TV. Normally when I watch Pluto TV, I'm watching poker tournaments, but still whatever. Uh, so thanks for putting that on the radar, Godzilla. I appreciate that, man. All right, next up. Justin Danford writes, you mentioned that involving the multiverse might necessitate a convergence event later down the line, like they've done in the comics. Um, I think Loki finale set this up in the reverse. Hate to be that guy, but this seems like, oh God. This seems to be how X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Deadpool enter the MCU on their own strand of the multiverse. And then they, and then they stay there once reality collapses back into a new singular timeline. All right. Every single time for the past three and a half years, every new Marvel TV show or movie that comes out comes the fans to say, this is how they're bringing X-Men in every single time. And every time it hasn't been. Now, at some point, it will. At some point, it will. But again, Kevin Feige said he already had the next five years planned, and we're not through those five years. So when he came up with Loki, with his team, and where Loki was going to go, and what Doctor Strange 2 was going to do, and all that kind of stuff, he never once considered X-Men. We are now only about a year and a half away from when he said he was going to start bringing in X-Men and Fantastic Four. And he could move that timetable up. He is human. So, again, it's a situation of a broken clock is right twice a day. So if everybody just keeps saying every single time there's a new MCU thing, this is where they're going to bring in the X-Men. This is where they're going to bring in the X-Men. This is where they're going to bring in the X-Men. Eventually, you'll be right. I mean, eventually, you will. But no, I don't believe this is the, the case here because this was planned out before Kevin Feige knew he had the X-Men. So that's, that's just kind of my take on it. Anything is possible, but I guess everybody will just keep saying it until eventually it does finally happen. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Dustin. I appreciate it, man. All right. And forgive me. I, I'm just, and I'm just busting your balls a bit, man. We're, we're fellow movie-loving film brothers and sisters in the wonderful world of storytelling. So forgive me if I'm busting your balls a little bit, brother. All right. Next up. Uh, Justin Danford also writes, also, John, I enjoyed the finale, but it had some serious Matrix 2 archetype vibes. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but you're not wrong. I think it did have some of those vibes, which I also liked. Right down to the exposition dump, the reality shattering implications and the binary choice for how to proceed. You know what? I had not even that never occurred to me once. But now that you said I'll be honest with you, as I was reading, it has serious Matrix 2. I thought, no, it doesn't. But then instantly I thought, actually, yeah, he's kind of right. It does. That's a really good observation. I like that analogy. All right, next up, Nate Cook writes, Hey, John and Rob. Rob's not here today, obviously. I was wondering if you guys seen this show called Bosch. Oh, we've, we've talked about Bosch quite a bit. Rob loves that show. I've seen the first two seasons, and for no reason whatsoever, I never watched the other ones after it. I, I've, I've always intended to go back and pick up on it again because I did like the first two seasons. Anyway. The show called Bosch on Amazon Prime is about this LAPD homicide detective, Harry Bosch, played by Titus Williver, who is, of course, in Mandalorian this last season for one episode as an Imperial uh, captain. Uh, and it's based on Michael Connelly's best-selling novels. There are only seven seasons. Yeah, we've brought up Bosch a number of times. Rob loves the show. Rob absolutely loves that show. Uh, and I really like the first two episodes. Again, I have no explanation for why I didn't watch the rest of them. I guess, you know, I watched season two. Season three wasn't out yet. And then... 
when it, it kind of quietly came out and then I just forgot about it. And then b- before you know it, I'm hearing, wait, season five's coming out. Wow. And then I, I just, at some point I got to pick back up on it. At some point I will. Thanks for writing that in Nate. All right. Loki Doki writes, Hey John, just a friendly reminder that Kang is confirmed for Ant-Man three. Yes. So the story has been somewhat continue. Let's see. So the story has to somewhat continue beyond Dr. Strange too. No, that's not necessarily true. Again, think of it this way. Civil War, the story of Civil War ended. That didn't mean Captain America didn't go on in the MCU. That didn't mean Iron Man didn't go on in the MCU. Uh, Guess what? Loki was defeated in Avengers. But that didn't mean Loki didn't continue. You know? Um, So just because a storyline ends does not mean all the characters associated with that storyline end. Again, I have no insider information. I, I am simply speaking uh, on, the, on the pretense of what my, what my speculation is as a fan. And the, you know, your speculation is no less valid than mine. I mean, I'm, I'm just speculating. But my speculation isn't undermined by that because just because a storyline end doesn't mean the characters don't continue to go. If that was the case, we wouldn't have seen Loki again after the first Thor movie. But here we are. So, yes, the whole multiverse story can end and you can have Kang continue. So we'll see how that goes. We'll totally see how that goes. All right. Thanks for writing that in, Loki Doki. By the way, I like that username a lot. All right. Next up, uh, DRE to the dub rights. If you're confused about where Loki, where Loki's at by the end of episode six, then just think about the MCU's time logic. Things changed in the past doesn't affect your future. It creates a new timeline, meaning Loki's officially in a different branch. Incorrect. Incorrect. And the reason that is incorrect is because of the nature of the TVA. The TVA is outside of time. The TVA exists outside of time. It is not a part of any timeline or any time branch. Therefore, the events at the end of Loki have somehow completely changed the nature of reality. And in sci-fi, there is a fine but very distinct difference between timeline and reality. Sometimes they can be used interchangeably, sometimes not. Now, if the TVA was a part of the regular timeline, then yeah, you could just say, oh, Loki's at the TVA and now Mobius doesn't recognize him. Therefore, it's a different splinter of the time. But the TVA exists outside of time. So the very fundamental nature of what their reality is, is now fundamentally different and changed. So how they're going to actually flesh that all out I don't know yet. I I have no concept right now. I have no concept. But right now, I don't think it's going to be just another time branch because, again, it's the TVA that exists outside of time. So, But we'll see. We'll see. You you might be right, but the way they've explained it all so far, it seems like there has to be another explanation. But we'll find out. You could be be right and I could be wrong. All right. Shekel Money writes, over under 40% that we will say Ben Kingsley and Shang-Chi. I'm going to go under on that. I not zero though, not zero, but I'm going to go under, but I will say this. I would love to see it happen. Understanding how the Ben Kingsley character ended claiming to be the Mandarin. And then in that Marvel short film where the real Mandarin has Ben Kingsley broken out of prison so he can confront him. I would love to see it, but I don't think it's likely. So while it's not zero, I'm going to go under 40%. Okay. Next up. Shekel also writes, one of two, 
I heard you say a lot of times how much the script and the characters are important. I am wondering how the script for a movie like The Raid or Mad Max Fury Road look. I love both those movies, but I don't think they have a great plot. You don't think Mad Max Fury Road had a great plot? I thought it had a great plot. Anyway, had a great plot or a lot of great dialogue. For me, it's all about the execution. Does does actions does action scenes are writing huh, does action scenes are writing in the script or it just say action scene like every move is written thanks very much love the show i mean it, it all depends a lot of times like when you read scripts you'll see actual description of the action but a lot of times when you get to an action scene in a movie, you're going to get your, your, you know, your unit directors in there and they're going to choreograph a fight for you and blah, blah, blah. If there are narrative things that need to happen in the fight, that'll be in the script. And then the action choreographers will make sure that it gets implemented in there. Uh, but otherwise it can be a little bit different, but listen, great action without a good story going with it is just visual noise. Like if all you needed was good action, Transformers 2, 3, 4, and 5 would be considered masterpieces. But the problem is all the action in Transformers is just visual noise because it made no narrative sense. It had no narrative implications. It was just a mess of visual noise and became unsatisfying. When you have narrative purpose to the action, that's when action becomes thrilling. That's when action becomes exciting, when there's narrative purpose to the action. And that all comes from the script. Now, yes, granted, there are going to be some types of movies where maybe the script isn't as important, but that's still the starting foundation of everything is the script. It absolutely is. Otherwise, just get a couple of buddies in a white room, turn on your camera, hit record, and say, now pretend you're fighting for two hours. Is is that a very interesting movie? Probably not. But uh, but yeah, I still think even in those types of situations, situations I think the scripts, especially like, uh, especially uh, Mad Max Fury Road. I think it was very pivotal. I ha- now, I happen to re- have read that script, and the script is incredible. Anyway, all right, thanks for writing that in, Shekel. Alex Detman writes, John, I know you weren't there for my last message, but like Belichick, you surround yourself with great talent. That's my job. Uh, Rob, I want to thank you. Rob's not here right now. For giving me a much-needed lift, and I'm so because Rob did a companion video for us yesterday or two days ago. Anyway, for giving me a much-needed lift, and I'm so thankful for your compassion and care. Bring on the summer camp, Ia uh, and Burnett. Well, thanks so much for that, Alex. It's good to have you around here, and I, I don't know. Uh, I saw a bunch of uh, Robert's companion video that he did. It was like an hour and 20-something minutes long. So, I, But I don't think I've read whatever you wrote into him. But you know, Rob is a treasure. I'm Listen, to have guys like Ray working with me or Aaron or Robert, something, I, I've been very, very lucky in my career to always work with really great people. Rob is absolutely one of those, and I'm very, very lucky to have him here with me. All right, thanks for writing that in, Alex. Next up, Scott Brown writes, um, uh, saw Black Widow. It was awesome to see a Marvel movie in the theater again. I, yes, sir. I enjoyed it. It was a good Marvel B movie. Uh, Hanson, Pugh and Harbor were great. Hanson. Oh, yo, Hanson. <laughs> Hanson, uh, Pugh and Harbor were great. By the way, so was Rachel Vice. Rachel Vice was really, I, I keep overlooking Rachel Vice, but Rachel Vice was great in it too. Uh, the action was solid, uh, but Taskmaster was wasted. I agree. They turned a great villain into a mindless drone. You know, here's the thing. I don't even think they turned a great villain to a mindless drone because that villain had never been in the MCU before. 
they brought in a villain that was just a mindless drone. And by the way, you can have mindless drones and still make them interesting. And and they just didn't. And I quite like Black Widow. I do. But, you know, the thing that prevents this from being a great movie is the fact that the villains were terrible. Not just Taskmaster. Like, I, I thought the Ray Winstone character was terrible, too, which is really unfortunate because Ray Winstone is a damn treasure. A treasure, I tell you, Ray Winstone is. Anyway, all right, let's keep moving here. Thanks for that, Scott, and I'm glad you were able to see it on the big screen. I still haven't seen it on the big screen yet. I got to get out and see it on the big screen. All right, next up, we've got uh, James Lockman, who writes, one of two. I went back and started rewatching Dexter. Nice. I should totally do that before the, uh, the new season comes out, uh, which is one of my favorite shows, just to get refreshed before the new limited Dexter series that's coming this fall. What a great show. The show's amazing. I love it. My two favorite seasons are the one with Jonathan Lithgow, uh, The Trinity Killer, which is most people's favorite season, and Jimmy Smits. I love the season with Jimmy Smits. Uh, they did such a wonderful job. I'm very curious how they're going to pull off this new and limited series with it being a completely different location. I love that Clancy Brown is in it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, first of all, we talked about this several times, but when they announced Clancy Brown, the Kurgan himself from Highlander, the prison guard from Shawshank Redemption. Uh, I love Clancy Brown. He's awesome. When I read that he was going to be the villain, in it, I just lost my mind. I thought that's fantastic. And by the way, did you see that Deb's back too? It's now official. We talked about a rumor um, maybe about a month ago on the John Campia show that Deb, by the way, guys, I keep forgetting the actress's name. Who something Is it Jennifer Carpenter? Is that her name? Help me out in the live chat, guys. I think it's Jennifer Carpenter. Um, uh, help me out. But anyway, the girl who plays Deb, it is now confirmed. Uh, Variety has confirmed. And uh, thank you, uh, Sauce and Marcus uh, in the live chat and and uh, Daryl are all confirming. Yes, it is Jennifer Carpenter. So Jennifer Carpenter, who plays Deb, his sister, uh, it's official. She's back. Now, Many of us are wondering, how the hell is Deb back? Because, of course, we know that in the Dexter finale, Deb dies, which really sucks. By the way, the finale was not great. The Dexter finale was not good. The, the, I thought the last season of Dexter was overall very solid, but the finale was terrible. I, even I agree with that. But um, she dies. So a lot of people are like, how, okay, wait a minute. How, so how, how is Deb in this season? Was she not really dead? No. I think what they're going to do is that she's going to replace Harry. Because remember, all through the Dexter series, he constantly talked to his dead adopted father, Harry. Harry's law. And he's always he was always having conversations with his dead adopted father. So I think, just a guess, I think Deb is going to be replacing that. So I see Yellow Flash is asking, so is this a remake or a reboot? It's neither. It's a continuation. This picks up eight years however long it's been since the last season of dexter it picks up eight years later uh and so it is a continuation it is neither a reboot or uh, or anything like that it is a continuation and yes walter is reminding us that jonathan lithgow is back as well he is now apparently jonathan lithgow is only gonna be back for one episode so again it's probably gonna be see uh some kind of flashback or some kind of talking to a ghost or something in his mind sort of thing but yeah that's uh, that's what we're going to I'm very excited. I cannot wait for Dexter to come back, man. I'm very, very stoked about it. All right, next up. Suthius writes, I like to listen to Cool and the Kang. Oh, God. Cool and the Kang. 
while watching such movies as Kiss Kiss Kang Kang. Uh, some days I danced to Kangam style. Other days I bought my head to the Wu Kang clan. I'm really looking forward to seeing Kang Chi in the fall and Scott Kang as Ant-Man again. All right. I'll, 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 I'll give you the old, uh, I'll give you the drum shot. Shame on you, Suthius. Shame on you. All right, next up, Scott Brown writes, Also, with Black Widow, the characters made this movie work. I agree. The characters was totally what made it work. Um, And I love the scene of Natasha uh, binging Bond. To be vague, there's no way the person who shows up in the post credit scene could have known what happened between Widow and Hawkeye in Endgame. Absolutely there is, because the whole world knows. The whole world knows. This keeps coming up. This even came up a lot in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where people say, well, wait a minute, how does so-and-so know so-and-so? Because the Avengers would have let, Captain America specifically, would have let everybody known. Well, Captain America specifically after uh, Infinity War, but after the events of Endgame as well. Listen, after Infinity War, the Avengers let the world know, knew, know exactly what happened. That's why everybody knew about Thanos and all that kind of stuff. The world was let in on everything that happened in the events of Infinity War because it affected everybody in the world. They had the right to know. There is no reason to believe that there weren't heavy Senate hearings and all the kind of... When three billion people reappear on the planet, that's going to cause a lot of things. And I believe it would have become public knowledge. This is exactly what happened. So I believe, yes, Elaine knew what happened. Because I think the world knew what happened. I don't think there's been anything to suggest why the world didn't know exactly everything that happens. And so, yeah, that's kind of my take on it anyway. Um, okay, next up. Uh, but, 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 Tron writes, If anything, the Space Jam marketing has shown that Warner Brothers has so much IP, enough to rival Disney for whatever reason AT&T has just failed to use any of them to their fullest potential. I don't believe that's true. Hopefully Discovery can make uh, Warner Brothers great again. Listen, Warner Brothers, here's the problem with people in our circles. We all look at Warner Brothers only through the lens of DC. DC is but a small part of what Warner Brothers is. Warner Brothers has done a really good... I mean, look, over the past 10 years, Warner Brothers has put out some fabulous movies, man. Some fabulous movies. But what I find is those of us in the more geek sphere, we can be guilty, and I include myself in this, we can be guilty of being kind of myopic, where we only see things through the... through how does it affect our limited sphere, right? Warner Brothers as a whole... Well, they also have had some stumbles like every studio. Warner Brothers the last decade or so have put out some magnificent, magnificent films. Uh, they're a very good studio. And I like maybe you're just thinking in terms of the Geekscape, but just because you have those IPs, that doesn't mean you should be running out and making movies of all those IPs, right? So that's just kind of my take on that, Tron. Anyway, next up. Uh, Tron also writes, Also, a bit off topic, but who you got winning the finals? I got Sons and Seven. Uh, CP3 um, uh, deserves a ring, and this is probably his last chance for one. Also, D-Book is lethal. I've got problems with Book, to be honest with you. I've got problems with him as a player. Anyway, either way, it's going to be a hell of a series. Uh, seven, and I'm here for it. I agree. I think it goes seven, but I'm not sure who wins. If they don't come up with a solution for... Because, listen, Giannis and Middleton... 
they just don't have an answer. Last two games, it just seems like those two have found their rhythm, and it just feels like the Suns don't have an answer for them. And the problem with Brooke is that he comes down the court, and you can just tell. Like, half the time he comes down the court, he thinks he's the only player on the court. And the Bucks know it. And he pulls this thing where he'll come down the court with the ball and the almost the entire 24-second shot clock will go and he'll never even, he wouldn't have even for a second think about passing it. He'll know right away that I am going to be taking this shot. And sometimes he hits a lot of them great and sometimes he misses them. I far prefer a player like, like Chris Paul who's primarily a facilitator. I would like to see him develop that a little bit more. But so I do think it's going to go seven, but right now I'm thinking it's going to go to the Bucks. But we'll have to wait and see. They got to come up with a solution though, because they have not come up with a solution for for Giannis. And when when like when, when uh, I might be mispronouncing his last, I think it's Middleton. Anyway, when those two are in their groove, they are very very hard to stop. Very hard to stop. All right, next up, anonymous writes. I really enjoyed the Loki series. Looking back to the 2019 Hall presentation, oh, it's interesting you're bringing this up. Uh, I saw that the plan was to release Doctor Strange before Loki. Should we still expect Doctor Strange to be the peak of the multiverse saga, or can this last much longer? Okay, it's really interesting you brought that up, because I was talking to somebody the other day, and the whole idea about the original Phase 4 timeline came up. Right. And this notion that we all just go on that Loki was supposed to come or Doctor Strange 2 was supposed to come out before Loki. Well, yes and no. Let me bring this up here. Yes and no. Okay, so I have this image. I just happen to have it right here on my desktop because I was looking I was looking at this earlier. Okay, let's take a peek at this. So on this timeline, this was the original timeline. This is, of course, from the last Comic-Con. So Black Widow was supposed to come out before Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and then Eternals, and then Shang-Chi. Look how out of order this all is now, right? And they all had dates. Black Widow was supposed to come out May 1st, 2020, so over a year ago. Falcon and the Winter Soldier was then supposed to come out in fall of 2020. It didn't have a date, but they just said fall. But fall is after May 1st, so clearly it was going to come after Black Widow. Then Eternals was supposed to come out November 6th. Then Shang-Chi was supposed to come out on February 12th of 2021. Then WandaVision was supposed to come out in spring of 2021. Now here's where it gets interesting. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is listed as May 7th, 2021. That's nearly at summertime. Loki, while it is placed further ahead on the timeline, look at when it says Loki was supposed to come out. Spring of 2021. Well, wait a minute. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, if it was scheduled to come out on May 7th, which is getting near the end of spring, when exactly was Loki supposed to come out? When exactly was Loki supposed to come out? So I'm going to say this, and this is me purely speculating here. Despite the fact that it says that it has Loki further ahead on the time on that timeline, 
I am guessing Loki was going to come out before Doctor Strange of Madness. Doctor Strange of Madness? Yes, that's my new movie, Doctor Strange of Madness. Um, I think Loki was always going to come out before Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Because having watched Loki now, I have no idea how you possibly could have Doctor Strange come out before that. And the very fact that Doctor Strange was listed as May 7th, was, which is right near the end of spring. And then you've got Loki just saying spring of 2021. Um, I have a feeling it was going to come out before Doctor Strange. Again, I th- th- don't take this as anything official. This is purely me speculating. But I just look at those dates and it makes me go, huh, was Loki ever really going to come out after Doctor I don't think it was. I don't think it was. But... Whatever. I can't prove that. <laughs> I totally can't prove that. So don't take that to the bank by any, in any way, shape or form. All right, <clears throat> let's move on here. Next up, uh, we've got, who do we got? Uh, that was anonymous. Next up, we have Harvey T.F. Dent, who writes, Hey, John, I was wondering if you'd seen the recent long Halloween animated movie. No interest in it. Uh, like, uh, like you, I don't always enjoy the animated stuff, but this movie is really good and really uh, sticks close to the comics. I highly recommend uh, it and part two when it comes out. I know I've given up. I've given up on all the Marvel and DC animated shite. The, at least the made directly for home video shite. I just remember I've always every new DC or Marvel straight to home video thing that comes out. I always get a bunch of people write to me saying, John, you got to watch this one. This one you'll really like. <clears throat> The last one that 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 I gave in on that one was that what was it called Justice League Apocalypse War? Is that what it was called? I think it was called Apocalypse War anyway. Where at the end, you know, Darkseid ends up having to fight what's her name, the Teen Titans girl, her demon father, and they you know the one I'm talking about, Justice League War. They're called okay, Justice League War. All right. I had so many people writing to me and say, oh, John, you're going to like this one. Like, we know you don't like the Marvel or DC straight to home video animated stuff, but you're going to like this one. This one's great. I'm like, okay, all right, all right, okay, okay. I was still high off of Harley Quinn. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot then. That movie's fucking garbage. That movie sucks. Now, that's just my opinion. Of course, it's all subjective. If you guys liked it, that's awesome. Not trying to yuck on your yum. Um, as Chris Carr would say. But I thought that that was abysmal. I thought that was horrid. Like, really, really bad. The animation was terrible. I mean, way better than I'll ever be able to do, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I just... So, it was that one that just made me throw in the towel. That one just made me throw in the towel and go, nope, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> I am not going to be suckered again uh, by all this praise that comes out for these either DC or uh, Marvel straight-to-home video crap. I'm just not not interested. Not Now, of course, I'm sure something will come out at some point that I'm really going to like. Like, there have been a couple in the past. Um, you know, Under the Red Hood, I really liked. The Doctor Strange animated straight-to-home video movie, I really liked. The Dark Knight Returns animated version, I really liked. So there have been a couple. You know, it's not like none of them have ever appealed to me. There have been a couple that I've liked. 
but yeah, for the most part, I just, eh. that's just me. That's just me. Thanks for the recommendation though, Harvey. I appreciate it, man. All right. Hitchcock is the goat writes. Um, Loki was fine, but just didn't work for me. That's understandable. Uh, the week to week, uh, speculation wasn't near as compelling as WandaVision and the action, not as good or choreographed as Falcon, the winter soldier. So far, WandaVision is my favorite series and Bucky is my favorite character arc. Bucky is a great character arc. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Bucky is an absolute great character arc. Um, and WandaVision is easily my favorite show out of the three easily, but they're all different. Loki wasn't meant to be a mystery, right? Loki really is more a character story. <clears throat> it really was more of a character story. And so, yeah, you're right. It didn't have the week-to-week mystery that WandaVision had, but it really wasn't meant to. It didn't have the week-to-week action that Falcon the Winter Soldier had, but it was never really meant to. This was a character-driven show about the character development, the character arc of Loki. And I, for one, found that part of it fascinating. And I loved it for that level. I didn't love the show overall. Again, episode three, I thought was quite bad. I was really disappointed in episode five, even though it had some highlights. And so I have Loki spotted at number three, like number one, WandaVision, number two, Falcon, Winter Soldier, number three, Loki. Uh, I still enjoyed Loki, But I absolutely loved his character arc, so that's just me. Anyway, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Hitchcock. Appreciate it, man. Next up, Tron writes, Top five of 2021 so far. Number one, Judas and the Black Messiah. That was really good. Uh, Quiet Place 2, that's probably my number one right now. Mitchells versus the Machines, what a pleasant surprise. If I had to crown my biggest pleasant surprise movie of the year so far, it's got to be Mitchells versus the Machines. I didn't think it, I don't think any of us thought it looked all that good. And I wasn't even going to watch it. And then I had a whole bunch of people saying, John, a whole bunch of you guys started saying, you know what, John? Mitchell's versus the machines is actually really charming. So finally, one night, me and I went, okay, well, you know, we, Ann and I went for a swim, thought, okay, let's watch something before we go to bed. We decided to put on Mitch. Loved it. Mitchell's versus the machines is delightful. If you guys haven't watched it yet, Take Tron's advice here and, and give it a shout, uh, give it a look. It's really, really good. Uh, anyway, uh, number four, Godzilla versus Kong. I had a lot of fun with that. Number five, Zack Snyder, Justice League, and I'm not a Snyder fanboy. Honorable mentions to Black Widow, Malcolm and Marie, Cruella, uh, nobody. God, I loved nobody. Uh, do any stand out to you? Again, one of the big ones to me, just because it was such a big, pleasant surprise, was definitely Mitchell's versus the Machines. That, that was such a great surprise. All right, next up, uh, Ben Bangs writes, Hey, John, the older I get, the less patient I am with franchises that have lots of titles and extensive lore to catch up on. Don't you think that sometimes even an otherwise great story can be overwhelmed by too much canon? Yes, if the people running that story don't manage it properly. I have said for a while now, and I completely believe this, and I'm 100% right. That the major key to Marvel being as successful as it is, aside from just making really great content, but the key has been that every single piece of MCU entertainment that has come out has never required a potential viewer to watch a bunch of other stuff first. 
I had somebody watch Endgame that maybe had seen the first Iron Man movie, whatever. Like, ba- basically hadn't really watched the MCU. But they jumped in and watched Endgame. And guess what? Endgame was done in such a way that somebody who had never watched the other stuff was able to pick up on it very quickly and not feel like they were being left behind by the story. And that's the key because that means there are people who have ignored the MCU and ignored the MCU, ignored the MCU, ignored the MCU. But then Guardians of the Galaxy looks pretty good because, you know, I like that Chris Pratt guy. I used to love him in Parks and Rec. Can I watch it if I haven't watched any of the other MCU things? I can? Okay. And then they jump on board and they get hooked because they didn't feel lost. And because of that, the MCU has been able to continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow because at no point was a new viewer ever been barred from jumping on board at any point. The way Kevin Feige has been able to manage that is remarkable. Now, it will continue to get more and more difficult the longer and the longer the MCU goes, but that has been something Kevin Feige has always been committed to, that every piece of entertainment we put out has to be an open door that any potential brand new fan can just jump in on and not feel lost. His ability to do that, I believe, is the foundational key for the MCU not just being successful, but becoming the biggest success in the entire world of movies. I think that's key, and he needs to continue doing it. So anyway, great observation, Ben. I'm glad you wrote that in. All right, next up, Ryan Lohner writes, It's amazing how many of my issues with Loki vanished with the reveal that there will be a second season. And this was never supposed to be the whole story. Well, again, we talked about this, remember, before the finale. It's like, listen, they specifically called WandaVision a limited series for a reason. It was a one-shot story. There's also a reason they're not calling Loki a limited series. They didn't put that tag on Loki. So obviously there was always the intention to do a second season. I didn't think they were going to announce it this fast, but there was always that intention. And yeah, they ne- they just needed to tie up the main things. They need us to bring Loki's character development to a conclusion, and they did with that big line, I don't need a throne. I loved that. And with the reveal of who was the man behind the curtain, it was Kang. Everything else, they can leave. They don't have to tie up everything else. And uh, they can leave some loose threads for a season two. And it's going to be interesting to see where they go with that. All right, next up, we got Chuck the Mystery who writes, one of two. John, I didn't feel the need to see Spiral in theaters. Uh, I wanted to see Spiral. Look, uh, confession time, I still haven't watched Spiral. I feel terrible about that. The problem is I was really excited to see it. Chris Rock doing, you know, um, uh, doing a, um, why am I freezing on the name of the franchise? Uh, him doing a, what's the name of the franchise? Why am I freezing on it? Saw. Thank you. The Richard put it in. I froze on Saw. Spiral being a part of the Saw franchise and Chris Rock doing it. I mean, that, that to me was so weird. I was instantly enamored with it. The problem was. Everybody that I know that saw it early were all like, oh, this isn't good. This isn't good. And I, it so took the wind out of my sails that I never did get around to watching it because I was so disappointed to hear that. I still got to watch it at some point. Anyway, Chuck was not done yet. Uh, so let's go back to Chuck here. So Chuck writes, 
Um, I didn't feel the need to see Spiral in theaters because I haven't liked a Saw movie since the first one. But um, I actually... I lost my spot there, but I actually thought this one was going to be good. I did too, man. Uh, finally watch it. And for me, it wasn't, it just wasn't, it couldn't, I, it couldn't decide if it was a police procedural or a horror movie. Well, there's no reason it can't be both. I guess a real shame. My question is since this film seems to be getting a fairly tepid response is the saw franchise done or because these films are inexpensive, will they make more thanks? And that's a great question, Chuck. And by the way, our friend DJ Taterskin sends in like a $20 Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, DJ Taterskins. I appreciate that, man, very much. Thanks for the support. Um, here's the thing. The Saw franchise was run into the ground ages ago. I mean, let's, let's just call it what it is. This is a franchise that was run into the ground ages ago. But... Because they're relatively inexpensive to make and they don't need to make a ton of money and it's a very recognizable IP, they just keep going. I think after the lackluster results of Spiral, they will probably take a break for a while, but I have no doubt we're going to get another Saw movie at some point. You know, make it for $200,000 and make $1.1 million. I, I mean, as long as the brand name is recognizable, somebody will try to capitalize on it. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them in the least. And hopefully they can revive it. I, you know what? Honestly, I think I think it's just time to reboot Saw. Saw is a franchise that can still work. Inexpensive, make some profit, but I think it's time to reset it. Get a new jigsaw, reset this thing, and then start moving forward again. I, at least that's my guess. That's that's my take on it at any rate. Okay, uh, time for a couple more here. James Lockman writes, I know you're debating on whether or not to go and watch The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. I'm not debating. I, I, I'm going to go out and see it. It's Ryan Reynolds. I've fallen behind, but I'm going to go see it. It's just that I also, like Spiral, I heard some not-so-great things, but not as bad as Spiral. I've also heard some okay things. I watched it recently and thought it was okay. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great either. It's something that you can wait for when it comes out on HBO Max, but I want to see it on the big screen. Um, yeah, so I appreciate you giving me that, that heads up on that. Again, it's Ryan Reynolds, so I got to see it. I got to support the fellow good Canadian kid, Ryan Reynolds. I mean, this is how, uh, this is how much of a good Canadian kid Ryan Reynolds is. He's from Vancouver. You know what Ryan's Twitter handle is? Van City Reynolds. Giving homage to his hometown of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Good Canadian kid. Got to support him. So I got to get out and see this thing soon. But yeah, I, I've heard it's at best. I've heard that it's at best. Okay. So I, I still got to support it. All right, guys. Uh, last two that we'll wrap, do here today, and then we'll wrap it up. James Lockman also writes in. He tips in like $20. Thank you, James, for supporting us on that level, man. Appreciate that. He writes, here's a list to great home stretch for 2021. Snake Eyes. Very excited for Snake Eyes. Suicide Squad. I'm out of my mind with excitement for Suicide Squad now. Shang-Chi. The trailer was awesome. Venom 2. I love the first Venom. No Time to Die. Bond, baby. The Eternals. Top Gun Maverick. Spider-Man No Way Home. Matrix 4 and Dune. My Regal Unlimited will be put to good use once again. Yeah, we do have a listen. I think we I think we are now allowed. Look, there, there are still places where the, the pandemic is still very, very much a problem. And by the way... With the new variants, like I, th 
Medicine shouldn't be political, okay? So take your political bullshit and shove it up your ass. Get vaccinated, okay? Get vaccinated. The the numbers that are coming out are staggering. Everybody who is now dying of the pandemic are unvaccinated people. Get vaccinated, please. Because we're seeing COVID numbers now starting to go up again when we've seen them on the decline for a long time because these there's these new variants coming out. And guess what? It's all people who haven't been vaccinated, or at least 99% of them haven't been vaccinated. So please keep, please get vaccinated so we can continue to enjoy nice things. That's all. But now, that being said, um, the it is really nice as a film fan, again, to be able to look at the landscape and be excited about movies that are coming up and not having to worry that they're going to be delayed again for another year. Uh, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the good thing. And not being able, to, it's not having to worry about them being uh, uh, pushed back another year or anything like that. So, yeah. And, and, and I listen, I know me mentioning something about, I don't talk politics on this show, but I think people who take... M- who take common sense and try to make them into political issues is idiotic. Um, listen to science, please listen to science and, and please do go and get vaccinated. I, I, I listen, there are a lot of Republicans who are speaking out and saying, people get vaccinated, please. This is not a political issue. It's a public health issue. Please go and, and do the right thing and be smart. Uh, anyway, last question of the day. Uh, we move on to, and it's the last one from James Lockman who writes, I just watched Nobody and I loved it. That bus scene, few, you know, Nobody was just brought up. That was 